You're listening to the Speaking Tongues podcast. I'm your host, El Sharice. Each week, I sit down to a conversation with multilinguals where we discuss and celebrate language, life, and culture through our own perspectives. Episode 89, Speaking Albanian. Hello, language lovers. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Speaking Tongues, the podcast in conversation with multilinguals. In this episode, I'm joined by sisters Lara and Mira from Australia, who talk to us about the Albanian language. Lara and Mira tell us about their family connection to the language through their grandparents. We talk about their language adventures on some of their earliest trips to Albania. They explain how their Albanian seemed to be more frozen in time compared to how the language is spoken colloquially in Albania now. We talk about polyphony and polyphonic music in Albanian culture, unexpected things encountered when visiting the country, wedding traditions and celebrations that last for days, and some similarities between Albanian and Greek languages. And if you pay close enough attention, there are some moments where we get to learn some Australian English that doesn't quite translate to Albanian or to American English either. Thank you so much to Lara and Mira for sharing your story and parts of your heritage with all of us. If you enjoy this episode of Speaking Tongues, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the Speaking Tongues podcast on Apple Podcasts and like and subscribe on YouTube so that other language lovers like ourselves can find the show. And if you've been a longtime listener of the show or even a recent listener, you can now support the show on buymeacoffee.com. Links to all platforms are in the show notes. And just one more thing before we get to the conversation in a Speaking Tongues podcast first, Lara has a special dedication that we wanted to include at the beginning of the show. So take it away, Lara. Hey, El, Lara here. I uh, just wanted to say thanks again for having Mira and I on your podcast and wanted to make a very special dedication and thanks to my auntie or Hello Mavet for teaching me some more Albanian during the very long lockdowns. Thanks. Bye. Welcome back to another episode of Speaking Tongues. I'm here today with Lara and Mira joining me from Australia. How are you both today? Hi, good. How are you? Yeah, really good. I'm great. <laughs> I'm great. Um, so happy that we were able to, um, you know, find a time zone between us and and get to have this conversation. I like to start each episode with the same question, and that is, what is your first language, and which languages have you learned to speak? So, um, this is Lara. My first language is English, and um, I learned to speak Italian at school, and then. Um, more later in life, Albanian. And the same, basically, yeah, our language journey has been similar, except mine took a huge detour tour into learning. Um, yeah, so yeah, basically English, Italian at school, and then Albanian later on. <laughs> what, what, was your, what was your detour, Mira? Uh, basically marrying an Albanian that doesn't speak much English. So um, yeah, that's um, been like a huge learning curve. I don't know in the right direction, but it, <laughs> it means that I can communicate, I think, <laughs> judging by what he says, a little bit better than I used to. Yeah. 
Okay. Did either of you, or I guess, what is your initial connection to Albanian, um, the language and, and the culture? Um, and what has the process been like for, you know, for learning Albanian? Um, so both our grandfathers are Albanian and um, okay. my grandma on my dad's side was, I guess, Australian, Scottish, English, um, French. And um, <laughs> she picked up the language really, really well. I think they learnt Indonesian together too and Italian. And um, she became an interpreter of Albanian. Um, so, yeah, we had a bit of connection early on, but my parents didn't speak at home. There was this weird skip of a generation sort of um, having to go to school when they were they were quite young, not speaking Albanian all the time. And then later on, we um, my dad reconnected and went overseas. My nan did first. And, um, yeah, I think we just had a huge connection to the place after going and, and the, peop the, the people, family. all the family we've stayed in touch with. Um, and we sort of soon early realised that we... <laughs> We knew very have little. Great <laughs> yeah, it was frustrating because we had one cousin that spoke a lot of English, so we just leave it to him all the time to um, interpret for us and got very lazy on the first trip. Um, but then when he wasn't around, I was like, right, I have to do something um, to be independent in this situation because I'm just like, they're all blah, 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 and we had no idea what was going on when he wasn't there. So, yeah. So growing up, you had that awareness that, you know, your grandfathers um, spoke Albanian and your parents didn't. So there was that generational divide. When was it that you got to that point where you said, OK, I'm ready to learn this language for myself and maybe even pass it on to, you know, your own children? I, I guess I realised as soon as I got married, I'm like, right, we're going to that's going to be our first language now in our home. Um, I can sort of use English in my work situation and with my friends but every other moment of my life and with the babies like Albanian which is really weird because I don't have um very good Albanian and my husband does but he also moved to Italy when he was really young so he speaks Italian a lot better like grammatically and um technically he's much better at Italian actually and knows sayings and you know everything in Albanian but of course like yeah, there's a lot missing there. So it's a, a weird situation where I don't know if my son will learn properly. I have to send him to school as well. <laughs> so it's just like confusing, but yeah. But that is an interesting, like if I guess the sayings are really and the way a conversation flows in Albanian, I've, I've noticed the first time we went, we, we sounded a little bit too formal I think we sound Gosh. like this Shakespearean version of like because for an example like um you you know we would be very formal and say see Amir Chapa Ben like what are you doing have you been sorry um how's everyone how's everyone? everyone like going through all the process that we'd been sort of frozen in time here in Australia and then um you know my cousins on the street would be like Chaben so like what's doing kind of thing and um, like slang, 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 and saying all kind of different sayings, and and we just be like, oh, we need to get cool. Dorky <laughs> 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 language people. <laughs> yeah, that was funny. Um, yeah, I think they live in the city too, which is there's a Tirana sort of dialect that is very casual, and 
you know, all our family came from villages. So we had dialect words too, which is funny because they're totally different from um, formal Albanian as well, from village to village. Like a village can be 5Ks from each other and they're, right. yeah, the words are insanely different from each other. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. It's like how people yeah. in New York talk fast. I was listening to another podcast about the, uh, maybe it's a generalisation, but they do say people in different areas to speak differently pace-wise and, yeah, it's. Um, yeah, I always tell people I feel like, I feel like, okay, so I'm born and raised in New York City, but I don't feel like I talk fast. No. I don't know if that's because of what I'm doing and I'm speaking to people who's, you know, they're not from here. So I kind of want to be accommodating so people can understand me. <laughs> but I think also it's like the pace of life is so much faster here. So the speech kind of keeps up with that too. I think it's interesting that you not only have that distance between where you grew up in Australia and, you know, Al Albania being in Europe. Um, so you have that physical distance, but then you also have the generational difference with what you may have learned from your grandparents um, and how they would have spoken in their time. And you have that formality that's kind of there too. So what was it like having to bridge that gap? When a lot of the formalities here were from visiting other Albanians. So if someone offered you a drink, usually as a kid, your father in there, it's like really formal, no thank you. And it um, goes in order of oldest to youngest and all that all stuff. Of that. And then when we went, when we went overseas, um, you know, at a cafe, for example, you'd order and you'd say, you look him like, thank you, uh, please, sorry, and thank you all the time and whatever. And we just got like hit in the face with this <laughs> kind of like what are you doing like why are you saying no when we're visiting why are you being so polite because at the cafes and things like people run in for a quick coffee and it's kind of like a coffee you know near cafe or just cafe and um it's not rude there like I I didn't really think it was I just thought I was being a big dork because that's what the reaction was so I think the difference between the generational, like, here being frozen in time was really, like, we had a lot of um, just formality. and It's tied to culture, I think. Like, yeah. there was a lot of um, weddings and they kept, because they immigrated in the 50s, they sort of kept that, that structure going. Um, and also because they were all basically from a small town or village, it was even stronger. So when, um, you know, when we, we've kept that here, there they've sort of moved forward with Europe. They're like, yeah, city, cosmopolitan. Um, every transaction is really quick and language obviously copies that. So um, so therefore you get slang and you get like quick words for really long convoluted ideas and things like that because a lot of things in Albanian are long and convoluted. So you have to sort of, <laughs> and, you know, so you have to make it um, short and sweet in, in that formal modern setting. And obviously we weren't up to that even with our schooling here for a year. Um, we weren't really up up to that <laughs> it was just a big wake up sort of thing and like people our age didn't understand us sometimes or laughed in our faces because we sounded like their grandma yeah just things like that um yeah I, I I won't say which one of us did it oh I, I'll take it but we someone ordered a drink at some stage and asked for like near got pesk which 
um, translates to literally a glass of like fish juice <laughs> because it sounds similar to like piersk, which is peach and um, stuff like that. <laughs> You know, that's not even being too formal. That's just not understanding the difference in the sounds. <laughs> yeah, just getting used to, like, speaking quickly and hearing different because people have different dialects. Yeah, the sounds are also really hard if you haven't grown up speaking it. Like, I, And a lot of languages like this, obviously, if your mouth hasn't moved in that way ever, it's really hard to get it right. So there's a, a double R letter in Albanian, which is a big role of the tongue and and the way also letters are placed next to each other, like G, um, Y, J are placed together for Jish, which is grandfather. So, yeah, never saying things like that often um, just made you sort of <laughs> get tongue-tied and um, that was also learning and I'm doing it a little bit better now, um, speaking with my husband. But, like, yeah, that's, that's a really difficult part of language too, that you have to practice those things to, to sort of get them right and communicate I, th I think even if you know the words a lot of language is about the expression of them and Albanians are really big on that so um, I found yeah I f find that now a lot easier because I can do that a little bit better. When you were learning what were some things that you did did you take any classes did you do any apps did you just rely on conversation in order to improve like what were some of the things that you did? Uh, so basically, like we, I knew, you know, conversational, but nothing because he's from the north too. So a lot of things he was saying, I've never heard before the words I just never heard. Um, so really, he had to slow it down and break it up and tell me the things he was saying. Um, luckily, he knows some of the southern dialect words too. So that was fine. But yeah, I didn't do any formal learning. We just sort of nutted it out together basically and as situations would arise I would oh that's that now and now I can and I'd really hold on to it if like something came up and I had no idea what he was talking about I'd be like this situation that word and like link them together um so for example apricot is zerdalia and we were talking about preserving and making some jam or something and um that food word related. yeah or oh, everything is food related basically with him and me um so yeah I, I'd like that's a really long word for a fruit so I just put that in my head and like keep it there forever sort of thing in that situation so that helped a lot because we were have, having a connection about situations in life um but yeah we did a year of school like a couple of years of Albanian school when we were teenagers um and that really helped me because I remember sort of photographically and write I can write I can actually write Albanian probably better than I can speak it um because I know how to spell I still remember that stuff and um I've noticed like his family or my husband who went to school less they don't they just spell how they say it um mm. which is most words are like that but yeah I I've sort of found they sometimes just write it and I have to interpret the writing into what I know the word is so that's been interesting too <laughs> yeah <laughs> but I think as like I can get by but Mira is much better with like a full conversation and communicating with people so the first time we sat down to dinner and I heard her speaking like fluently I um started crying because <laughs> I was like just pretty thought about what my grandparents would think and yeah I was happy that she jumped that step which I think that's how they did it too that's I how my to. nan learnt. um yeah out of necessity being stuck on a farm they were so yeah um, 
Also, then, both their partners were another, you know, in, from another immigrant background, so they didn't know the language either. And that's the thing with Albanian. It's sometimes like a code because no, not Italian, there's lots of Italians in Australia and there were from the beginning, but with Albanian, there's very few and from the beginning. There's more now, so you sort of, if you have, think you're having a private conversation now, you're not really because there might be <laughs> someone around that understands. But I think at school we found that fun because no one knows the language. Like it's just... Um, this thing that stands out because, yeah, not many people know what the hell. They think you're speaking French or they have no idea. Um, mm. And also because it's part of Indo-European, it sort of doesn't sound like um, it's other its languages. Own, it's on its own branch, lang- I guess, language branch. And oh, okay. Yeah, so there's been like a lot of conflict of where it comes from, but I think people are saying, you know, Illyria and then there's other links to it more Eastern Europe Um but yeah, it's interesting that it's that it's on its own branch, and not many people would le- learn it outside of, you know, Albanians born outside Albania. Who, yeah, I don't know how my how Nan. Do you know how Nan, like, went from learning casually to being an interpreter? Because you have to know everything. So I think she was. Like, <laughs> yeah, I think she was like me at the beginning, where it was part of the relationship. So she had to but my grandfather spoke English anyway. Um, but she is really interested in, she was really interested in learning languages. So she was very good at the grammar and very good at sitting down. And she also taught um, Albanian at the um, mosque, the Muslim sort of Albanian school in Shepparton, which is a huge Albanian community. So she had to get it right. She was like in charge of that. Um, yeah, so she she made a point, I think, of um, reading dictionaries Um, writing letters to the family, things like that. The communication was big. She spoke on the phone for hours. I remember her sitting on the phone and I think she was just really good at systematically correcting herself and making sure she got it right. So she was a bit more disciplined. She was very disciplined like that. So, yeah, I think that some Albanians in the community, I guess, thought she was Albanian because she was very serious about speaking the language correctly. So... Yeah, it, w- it was, and that's one of the things I sort of regret is not learning in that formal way from her because she wasn't Albanian and she just knew it inside out, which was amazing. Wow. Yeah. That's so impressive. Mm. I feel like, could we, do you think like we could do that in like the world now with everything we have going on and Do you sit everything? at the phone and talk for two hours to someone overseas? I don't know. <laughs> During sure. lockdown, I had a bit of a pissy fit and I was like, I'm not, like, I'm not texting anyone or getting on my screen anymore. I'm going to call you and have a call. Because I do remember her doing that a lot and it it makes room for a lot more detail and stories. And But, yeah, I'm not sure that, I, I mean, I've tried an app and I, I actually didn't, didn't like learning through the app. So um, maybe I've got to get a house phone, like a landline. <laughs> <laughs> what was wrong with the app? Um, I'm not sure. I think the app was fine. I think it's how I learn. I was too impatient or something. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I like to, like, idealise, like, our grandparents' era and how they didn't have the phones and they didn't have nine streaming services and they didn't have, you know, so many apps and there wasn't, like, so much noise around them. And I think, like... If you wanted to learn a language, Albanian, for the sake of this conversation, 
what did you have to do? You had to talk to someone or you had to get a book. Hmm. And those two ways of just doing it, I feel like people were probably on the whole way more successful than I feel like a lot of us can be now because it's so easy to just like turn on Netflix and not do it, you know? <laughs> so I think you're spot on there. Like definitely. Yeah. That is a huge thing because the only thing I feel like I've learned inside out in my life um, without computers is um, like sound on an analog desk. I feel like I've finally got to like old lady level of, of that. Um, <laughs> Kind of like, now I can be a mentor. That's the goal. (laughs) Maybe I need to try this with language. Were there any Albanian traditions that you experienced with your family, I guess, when you were growing up um, that once you went to Albania for the first time or in repeated visits to Albania, was there anything that you saw that was the same or anything that you noticed maybe had like a different variation because it was maybe something that started in the 50s or from that generation were there any type of things like that that you experienced clothing (laughs) (laughs) that's not like traditional clothing um uh, no I I think traditionally um maybe we've held on to the processes a bit like the you know but um there is a thing of like cheersing people until midnight and like the food's going cold on the table but you have to go through everyone and from the first time we went 20 years ago to the last time we went that has sort of disappeared because people realize no one has time anymore which is sad but yeah that has stopped uh in a big way but then again um on the flip side of that when we went oh maybe it has stopped a little bit when we first went to my mum's village, which is um, Vloch near Kocha, um, kind of close to the Greek border, we um, <laughs> we had dinner, but my mum's um, family sort of during, I think, at the end of dinner, I didn't know they did polyphony. Um, I knew that it existed, but I thought it was more in the north and in the mountainous, you know. It's actually more in the south. More in the south, okay. She knows more. Um but, yeah, as we were finishing dinner, because we'd just come from the city, um, they started singing polyphonic um, singing. And um, so it's a, a group of voices together doing a drone and then one person will take the lead. <laughs> I was, like, in tears. Like it was because it's a real um, – it's a way of communicating and telling stories uh, – that are really connected to the land and the place that you're from. So because of the mountains and everything, in some areas the singing sounds different compared to, like, the next village over. So mm. it was – and then, you know, I don't think we'd heard that live in Australia. We'd heard my grandpa sing it on his own. He he would do it, like – He would parts. do both parts. <laughs> like, he would do the drone – so we'd just be like, eh, and then he'd sing a funny line and, and we would be like, what is he on about? <laughs> but then the first time we heard it with a group doing it properly, I was just, but it was still comical. Towards the end, one of the young girls started doing the lead and um, our cousin, she she was must have been saying some really funny stuff because everyone's just in hysterics, like trying to do the drone, be serious. Be yeah. serious. <laughs> and she'd say something about a person that, 
that had done something funny and then everyone would like take off and laugh and it was <laughs> so yeah. we don't see that in Australia that much no because it's sort of like history as it happens those songs that it's like um they're historical songs but then you can contemporize is that a word um them and um sort of tell what's happening now in the song so they weave it together I guess because Albanian was an oral language up until maybe the 1800s early 1900s it was actually formalized into a one language and written with the songs what are what is the the nature like what's the subject of the songs like what are they singing about, <laughs> singing about um it's kind of everything it's mostly what's happened to a person like a guy would you know be in love with this woman or someone would be in love and it didn't work out or it did work out or um you know, family history. Some of them are a bit existential. Like we, I watched a documentary called um, Washed by the Moon that Mira recommended and um, the guy's just driving in a car singing, making up a song um, from a, uh, like a melody he'd heard but he'd written his own words and it, it was just about life being bittersweet and just, you know, what is this all for? And I was like, whoa, that's... <laughs> um, but, yeah, I think most people sort of use the subjects of just all the love. crazy stuff that happens in life and love and land and, yeah. Oh, wow. That's so interesting. Um, can one find these on YouTube for people like me who have never heard them? Uh, I think so. It's a bit hard um, for the older songs to find and obviously like the village to village you can't really you have to go there <laughs> to hear those. Um, but there's um, a great album called um, At Least Wave Your Handkerchief at Me, I think it's called, somewhere along those lines. So that's sort of like a um, – it has a German producer and um, they got together like a whole group of great Albanian musicians and have done some really classic traditional polyphonic songs, which are well known. So, yeah, that's the sort of go-to now in these days. But, yeah, I think things will come up also if you just type in polyphony. Every, a lot of um, countries around those areas have polyphony. That's so cool. That's really, really cool. Oh, I want to hear this now. I want to hear it live, like in Albania. <laughs> Next time we go, you can come with us. I think Kansas is okay. to come with us. <laughs> I'm there. I am there. You said that you've been visiting Albania for the last 20 years or so. Um, when you, more or less, <laughs> when you started going to Albania, or maybe your first time in Albania, um, what was that like? What was that like? <laughs> uh, we were sort of fish out of water, um, asking for glasses of fish. But um, I think it was just a whirlwind of the first, very first time was visiting. Like that's what we did because our grandfather left at a time where he couldn't go back and um, we just didn't know anyone like there were letters and things but we went around visiting everybody um it was like a reconnection I guess yeah, yeah. millions of coffees um and just learning about each place my my cousin on my dad's side was really he actually knows a lot of my mum's family tree as well he's got a photographic memory for things and like he's just 
he knows the history of each place we go to. He travels a bit for work. Um, he's one of those people that connect everyone together and remember the good places, the nice people, and he's just, yeah, one of those people that bring people together. So being around him was always great. Yeah, yeah and I think one thing in a later trip that we I really wanted to start seeing other things and I, I went to um, a cousin's um, school, like kids' school um, concert. So the music for me, um, that's where I got to see really traditional music and dance. Um, we went to some crazy nights where there were like a full, there was a full band playing like Albanian pop music on stage. And we just oh, got so to, cool. yeah, there's a huge clash of like really old tradition and then very modern stuff going on. That so had you had a relationship with your family in Albania previously to before you visited for the first time? Or was that like the process of reconnecting with them as you were, as you began visiting? I think as we began visiting, because we obviously didn't have um, social media much back then. And, um, oh, we had, you know, we got letters and on the phone, like 3am calls and things like that, we, we sort of learnt who everyone was and sent photos back and forth. And after Dad went in the 90s, that was when um, we started to learn more about how they lived and wanting to reconnect because I think before it was just this thing where our grandfather's family is there and we wish we could see them but we can't. And then once he sort of went back and it was more of a reality I mean, he went back when it was really still a dangerous place, I guess, and things were really fragile there and it was crazy. So um, we all had this uh, first introduction to it as this really unstable place but still had the drive to go there. And I think still when we went there, it was still a bit loose but, like, um, yeah, just wanting to get to know our family and um, their situation, I guess, and how everyone lived and... um, have something in common rather than speaking on the phone early in the morning and not really understanding each other. That was the drive to to go and know them better. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, Kind of that being said, once you got there, um, maybe even for the first time or the second time that you visited, what were some of the things that maybe you had in mind? And then once you got there, they were completely different or completely opposite or unexpected? Um, I, oh, I think I knew what, I think I knew what it was going to be like. Um, just the warmth though was overwhelming and like meeting people that reminded me so much of our grandparents, um, that was sh- the shock because I guess the similarities of uncles like to our grandfather or their mannerisms or the way they spoke, the jokes, the way they laugh, like one uncle, our just or he he's just like such a he was just such a funny man and um the humor and everything, that sort of shocked me. I was like, I didn't expect to feel like my cousins were like my sisters immediately and that's what happened. So also I think it's like when you you read a lot or you sort of know a lot of what you think you should know. <laughs> um, we always th- were very serious when we when we thought of like what what my grandfather had gone through and what the family had gone through and stuff. And um, but Albanians have a saying like I guess pachef like for joy. And um, no matter what's happening in life or what's going on around you, it's like there's always 
something to do for fun or joy. And um, that's the thing. I think that's where all the humour and that comes in, like the funny jokes, the making, like interrupting a polyphonic song with a joke. Um, just Not like taking things too seriously. Too seriously, yeah. And finding any reason to party. Like weddings go for a week there. So the f- like most recent time I went, there was a wedding that went for a week in the 35 degree heat with like blaring music every night. So we're just like, well, it's for fun, you know, like you won't get to do this again really and why not stretch? What are some of the activities that happen in a week-long wedding? Um, Oh, well, in the south I guess it's different. Like in the city it would just be um, like they have separate weddings traditionally. So the wife, the woman has a separate um, family wedding and then the husband and he brings her there to his house so that's very traditional um but mostly modern in modern times like they have joint weddings but yeah they in the south we we carry on the tradition here it's pretty like might be offensive to some people but they um for virility they cut a chicken's head off and the groom jumps over it and they bury it so that they will have a child soon and things like that it's um yeah um pretty connected to the old older ways like not to religion but to previous pagan traditions and um, they shave the groom and all these and there's a lot of traditions that I don't understand so we were going to visit um, some graves in our village and my cousin bent down and touched the ground like three separate times before we got there and I was like I said what are you doing and she goes I really don't know either but this is what we have to do and so um, there are lots of and you know when my grandmother died here people came over from over there and um, they said oh you can't get up from the table until you're finished because that's bad luck and you can't let someone else sit in your spot or have broken stockings or there's so many like a million different things like that so we learnt um, we learn a lot of things but it confused me because um, there are a lot of opposing ones as well <laughs> so it's like very and then that's what you not I don't know when there's like when people are arg- not arguing but speaking about what you should and shouldn't do, um, then also jokes come out of that. A cheeky it's, look on their face. It's yeah. like my auntie, especially because I'll say, "What do I do?" and be really anxious and serious about it, and she'll be like, "Who knows?" You know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, but not in a rude way. Just in this way of like, I think because the culture is sort of gone from very traditional to very modern to like everybody from different villages getting married or connecting with each other or working or traveling um then a lot has been spread around that probably wasn't you know before so interesting I really well I asked that question about the weddings because here a wedding will cost like hundreds of thousands right but it'll only last from like I don't know, the the reception starts at maybe seven, but the wedding itself starts at five and then you got to be out of the banquet hall at like 11. <laughs> You're spending all this money for like a, a, a quarter of a day, right? So I think like, I love seeing cultures where they have these multi-day celebrations because not just practically like you're getting your money's worth, but it's also <laughs> like, <laughs> it's also like, being able to keep these traditions alive and pass them on to, you know, and just like really share with your family, like 
in the U.S., I don't want to stay on this too long because I will start ranting, but <laughs> I feel like, unfortunately, like, and I don't know maybe how it is in Australia, but I feel like there's no, not as much emphasis on like extended family. Um, and it's so nice to see people actually celebrating for multiple days with their extended family and maybe even their neighbors and their, you know, people in their town. So that's why I asked that question. I just, I'm like dying to be invited to like one of these days long celebrations so I can experience it. I see you like outside their fence though. It's like, come in because that literally happens. That's what happens. You can't, even if you don't know people from a bar of soap, that's an Australian saying, sorry. Um, maybe. Wait, what's the saying? <laughs> if you don't know someone from a bar of soap. Oh, I love that. Like you don't know them at all. <laughs> Got it. Um, we we say like, I don't know him from like, oh, there's so many things. It could be anything. I don't know him from a hole in the wall is wow. one that we say. Oh. <laughs> Well, we, we realised we were speaking like this and saying all these Australian things and, and trying to translate into Albanian and they were just like, what the hell? Like that, it made the layers of confusion even deeper. Like it was very, very hard. And then we tried to watch, um, there's an Albanian comedy show called Portokali, which is like orange, I think. And um, I, I tried to translate the jokes into English and I just still did not find them funny <laughs> so I think you have to know a deeper level yeah of definitely. language yeah yeah and I think Australians are like the kings and queens of very specific sayings and very clever sayings so I think that adds another layer on top of it <laughs> um so portakali is orange in Albanian and isn't it also maybe you don't know I think it's also orange and Greek. Yeah. Too. So that would be because um, my landlord's Greek and we were speaking about this. There's lots of words that Albanians have either incorporated um, because there was no word or because the border, that border area, she's from the north of Greece, we're from the south of Albania. There's so many, like the word for rose is her father had lots of roses at this property. Had um, So I said it one day in Albanian, Trenta. Trenta feel, sorry, I'll say it properly, not like an Aussie. Um, like Trenta feel is like Australian. Um, and she said, oh, that's the word we have, Trenta feely. And I was like, oh, okay. So we do, we have, um, Albania has a lot of words from other places. And my husband is making me realise that more too, because he knows a lot of old, old Albanian words from the mountains. So there's no words for things that come from other areas. So obviously introduced things have words from Turkey or Greece. Yeah, so like, that's right. Yeah. Che is often one that's everywhere, like for tea, um, yeah. chai or che um, mm. comes from Turkish. And yeah, a lot of Yeah, and mystery, from... like corn, the word for corn is actually Turkish. And I didn't realise that until my mum said that her father used to call it um, something else, which I tried to look up and it was the word for mould. And I thought, is that because corn grows everywhere? But I don't, I don't know. So it was, it, yeah, it, things like that. I always assumed it was an Albanian word, but when I looked into it, it was, it was a Turkish word. So there's so many, yeah. And I'd really, because dolap is the word for wardrobe and that's... Um, Turkish and we use it in the south but my husband has another word um for it so 
yeah, I'm trying to make sense of which word is actually the one that was originally used in that area because you can never be sure, actually. How is that, how has it been, I guess, um, communicating with your husband and maybe his family in the north and you being from the south? Like, are there really big differences between the two, I'm going to say dialects or the two you know, spoken Albanians? There are. So if he spoke completely in his village's dialect, I would have no idea what he's talking about at all. Um, But he meets in the middle. So Geg is from the north and the dialect generally, and Tosk is from the south. Um, But within that village to village, there's words for different things that are different as well. And luckily he has a lot of friends from all over Albania, so he knows how to communicate with me and sort of meet in the middle. We meet in the middle. Um, but I've started using northern words and my family are laughing at me. They're like, oh, you're becoming a northerner like that, the way I speak <laughs> as well. Like they're, they're really drawn out. They're like the Aussies of Albania. They're like, um, we say baba in the south for father and they're like, Barbie, like that. So it's a really like drawl. Um, there, yeah. there was a lady um, who grew up in Shepparton, Australia, um, who was Albanian, and her she would like speak Albanian with an Australian accent, which is like one of my favourite things. But I think when she called her sons to come and have a cup of tea, she'd say "Hayde pina chai" like that, which is like "come and have a tea." <laughs> it just sounded so good to me. Like, I don't know why. The mixture of the two. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I love a good cultural fusion. <laughs> <laughs> so you both have careers in the arts. Um, how have you been able or or um, have you been able to bring Albanian language and culture into your work in any way? Um, Well, I've tried to start making a documentary about polyphony, which is those songs we were talking about. I interviewed before I um, went over there for a wedding, (laughs) um, before when I had time, I um, interviewed a um, poet who writes the words for polyphonic songs and he, um, his name's Lefter Chipa and he is an amazing man um, who we sat down with and um, he basically chain smoked through an interview and was speaking about um, my drive for the interview is to talk about um, how nature reflects on the music of a place. So, you know, I'd like I'd like to be ambitious and do a big one about Ireland and Irish music and how the landscape affects their um, music and language and how music is a language, I suppose. But his, um, I started with him basically in Albania. That's as far as I've gotten. And he, yeah, he basically spoke about how the polyphonic structure and poetry and language um, continues on Albanian language um, and that it will never die because it is sort of infinite like nature. It sort of reflects the things that happen in nature and what the anim- what animals do what the moon does, how people's emotions and, and life situations reflect all those things, um, how the cycles of life are continued through the music and through those words and the history of the country. So, yeah, it was. I don't understand all of it. I've started, my auntie's started helping me translate it. Um, he speaks really uh, in, in, like, it's very confusing because he's a poet, he speaks. Um really mysteriously about a lot of things but I'm trying to (laughs) I'm trying to make it 
um, more palatable for the doco, like so people get what he's saying. But yeah, it was an interesting mm. process. Yeah, you thought sharing recipes was hard. Oh my god, <laughs> <laughs> how much sugar? <laughs> what is life? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so that's the only thing I've done there. You <laughs> okay? Yeah, I don't. Uh, mine's not that beautiful. But <laughs> I when I'm doing sound, I've had to learn actually some words that relate to my work in um, not so much in Albania, but I have learned a couple. And then in the I worked in the Czech Republic and France a bit, so you kind of learn, learn you know, left and right and up or down or things like that to communicate with the house technicians. Um, but, yeah, maybe mine's more on a musical level. I um, did some ambient sort of style music that because when I used to feel bad about not being able to speak um, fluently or whatever, I'd remember that you'd learn music. I'd learn music, <laughs> <laughs> and um, I think some of my earlier stuff was um, related to distance and um, separation between people, but also connection between the land you're on and trying to respect that, or actually respecting that in the same way, um, and also just. Um, also yeah. the timing of the music, a lot of it was like seven, a lot of Albanian music is like seven eights and I think you were doing some of that. in Some of that, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I, I also remember what my grandfather's father's motto was, which is for every five words, spoke, uh, for every word spoken, listen to five. And um, then I kind of thought, maybe it's your fault I didn't learn. <laughs> you didn't speak enough. <laughs> but no, um, it's... I've listening for me is a big part of my job so I think sometimes when you listen and then you don't practice speaking it's it can be a bit detrimental to learning um but that's just how I am I'm with music with sound engineering with everything I'm just but you're interested how uh, traditional music translate in, in translates into the pop world I mean there's a crazy amount of Albanian pop music and a lot of it is influenced by traditional sort of structure so that's something that yeah, I d yeah I'll send you a link I did a radio show recently on community radio that in an hour goes from very traditional music to like Dua Lipa and Rita Ora <laughs> so, um, it was are Dua Lipa and Rita Ora Albanian yeah well Dua Lipa's from Kosovo they both are they both are yeah but they're Albanian I am today years old and I <laughs> learned that. I'm stealing that. Also Bebe Reja, we'll just name drop oh, a few. Reja, yeah. Are they are they really popular in Albania? Like are people just like wild about them and like so happy? Because they're both so huge. They're huge stars, you know? Yeah, I mean, I guess they are living in, in the UK. They're 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 British, but mm. um they are really popular if they do a show in Albania or Kosovo. With young people I noticed like because people around my husband's age he didn't really know who they were and he loves like I call it old man songs but they're like really old-fashioned old traditional songs and you know we're in our 30s and yeah he um he just has no idea of that pop world. He doesn't care. So he's like, oh, I'll, I'll show you some cool music and it'll be like this full-on <laughs> traditional piece. <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, Who's yeah. cool now? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> but no, I think um, the thing I like about 
Albania and Albanians here even is when there's a party, like we got to see Mariola Kachani and um, who came to Melbourne and I love it that the sort of, they sing traditional songs but they sing sort of midi pop as well um, and those Highly people, program. yeah, those people are so popular. Like, and if there's a clarinet player um, who's really good, um, they are just like heroes. They at the at the parties, you'll just see pineapples or fifty dollar notes, like just thrown at the band, and it's like a tradition where people in Australia don't understand because they're like, "I'm a poor musician," and then like. <laughs> You know, they, there's, they see my videos and they're like, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, musicians are worshipped over there. So, like, if you are a band and you play a wedding or just a venue on a Wednesday night, um, you will get money chucked at you, and which doesn't happen here really because, like I said before, music is everything there. So people, yeah, just <laughs> pay you well if you're good. They just, yeah, love you. So, Did you say people are throwing pineapples? That's another Australian, yeah, pineapples are oh. $50 notes. I'm learning a lot today. Sorry, I just wanted to clarify because pineapples are a heavy fruit and I was a little <laughs> concerned. <It's> spiky. <laughs> do you hate this music or do and you And they're it? spiky. Exactly. Yeah. Someone's going to lose an eye. <laughs> um, I'd love to hear about what you do, Lara. I know you... Um, have a company, Zemmer Bags, and Mira as a documentary filmmaker. Um, please let us know how we can support your work and maybe where we can find you, a website, socials, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, yeah, I've got Zemmer Bags on Instagram. I'm in the middle of rebuilding the website and shop. So it's a slow process of building um, what it was supposed to be like a um, – bit of a social enterprise, a bit of a, a, a way to pay some workers a, a fair wage in Albania to make um, these tote bags that a couple of bands in Australia have bought and supported and, a, and the radio station I volunteer at. Um, so, yeah, it, it's, um, it's getting there. I actually went to Turkey to try to buy material. <laughs> I was specifically looking for hemp material and um, I spent seven days walking around Istanbul for... 14 hours a day or something with my cousin who's got a clothing store. But we, I kind of, um, it was more about building it in the way of back in Albania, um, just getting getting this product made and maybe creating some awareness for um, the quality of stuff that's made over there and the wages aren't very good. So, yeah, and at the same time promoting the use of um what the old generation in Albania remember is using material bags or I guess um, what's that other material? Not jute. Oh, I don't know. Like, um, <laughs> you know, canvas. Or, canvas like or, canvas. Yeah, yeah. Instead of plastic. So, I mean, it, it's a, it's an idea that hasn't even caught on here properly really. So who am I to say, but um, some people are receptive of that. And it's, it's just my own, yeah, little, wish to make it grow into something else so yeah um I'm an independent filmmaker so I don't have any <laughs> any online I'm yeah I'm not like you well, I don't do that oh yeah I made a documentary but it's not about Albanians it's uh, about photography so yeah but hopefully the next one will be about something to do with Albania I hope 
Okay. Is it online? Um, it sometimes is through the ABC, which is the national broadcasting company here. It, um, so it's called the Still Point Photography of Robert McFarlane. And it's like a, um, well, he's a photographer that um, worked his way, you know, through the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, documenting Australia, the streets. So it's basically his life, really, his life's work. So yeah, you can check it out on ABC. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to add links to those in the show notes. And hopefully people who are listening can check it out and see what, you, what you're both up to. I want to thank you both so much for talking about your connection to Albanian, the language and the culture. And this has been a lot of fun. And I've said this before, like, I always love chatting with Australians because I'm always like, First of all, the time difference alone, like I never in my life thought I'd be sitting here face to face talking to someone like 15 and a half hours away. So (laughs) this is like my dream come true always. Like I'm in the future. I'm living in the future right now. You can't Um, (laughs) delirious and just blurting anything out. (laughs) (laughs) But um, thank you so much. And I'd like to end each episode on the same question. And that is, do you have any jokes, tongue twisters, cool slang words, idioms, words of wisdom or words of advice in Albanian to share? Um, Well, today is a really beautiful day here. And one day I woke up and it was the same. And my husband said, Dieli si pisha. And I said, what does that mean? And he said, oh, it's the sun is like a pine tree, but not just any pine tree, like a really, really big one. So the sun is open and spread out everywhere. Like it's a really bright, big big day. And um, I'd never heard that before. And it sort of just, it made me feel good that morning. And I thought, oh, that's such a beautiful thing to wake up to. Like not just to see it, but to say it in that way. So dearly Sipisha. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think I have to leave that one as the ending because it's <laughs> very beautiful. Yeah. I like that. I like that one. Thank you both again so much for this conversation. Um it's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure chatting with you both. Thanks so much for having us and yeah, for taking your time to talk about the Albanian language and us learning it. Before I let you run off. Really quickly, don't think about this at all. After this time when we've been talking, chatting, laughing, and we're going our separate ways, um, in Albanian, what is the best way to say goodbye? Miropafshim is like the standard, yeah. And Shina Mbrapa is see you after, so see you later. So I think that's... final, yeah. Yeah, it's not final. It's like it'll happen again. Love it. Thank you so much again. And I'll be talking to you soon. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye.